Welcome to another episode of Needs Some Introduction. I'm your host, Victor, and in today's episode, we'll be breaking down the season finale of The Patient on Hulu, an episode called The Cantor's Husband. I'll be breaking down the episode by myself, and then Sona will be jumping into the conversation because there are many, many things to talk about in this particular episode and getting her opinion on the season in general. This is the end of our season of the show, which just simply means closing this chapter, but we will kick off our very next season just next week. Sona and I will be covering The White Lotus, the new season, and we'll be previewing that series briefly at the end of this conversation as well. Simultaneously, we'll have a second episode per week where we are going to continue to cover a new Amazon Prime show called The Peripheral, and we've already covered the first two episodes of that show in the House of the Dragon finale recap that we had just earlier this week, just a couple of days ago. And there are many films that I'll be reviewing. This is the end of the year, and there's some high-profile films like the new Avatar film, just to name one, plus some very prestigious Netflix premieres. Netflix is making a real push to become a major studio, and some of these films are even going to be released in theaters, like the Knives Out sequel which just played at the Montclair Film Festival by my house. And Daniel Craig was there in attendance. And it's obviously a very big deal that this is coming straight to Netflix, although now looks like it will actually have a theatrical window. So we'll be reviewing those films. We'll be reviewing, I'm sure, Surprise, Netflix Drops, and other series throughout the end of the year. And most importantly, continuing to talk about not only the peripheral, but this slew of new Amazon Prime shows that are premiering in the wake of the success of The Lord of the Rings series that just wrapped up a few weeks back, or two weeks back, I think, at this point. Amazon Prime is trying to expand their offerings, and we'll be sampling those shows and maybe watching some of them to completion. Subscribe so you know when all those episodes become available. If you'd like to support the show, check our catalog for other shows you might want to watch. If you did watch the Game of Thrones episode this week, you noticed the preview for Succession. They've almost completed the new season, and they have a premiere date scheduled for the spring. So we're just a few months away from that. We will definitely be covering that show here. And of course, the previous season, full coverage of that in our backlog, if you want to track that down, along with many other shows that we covered here, Better Call Saul, Mayor of Easttown, the Dexter reboot, Yellow Jackets, which is also coming back in the spring. So lots of content back there if you'd like to track any of that down or catch up on any of those shows. Email us with your feedback, need some introduction at gmail.com. I'd very much like to hear from anybody and get a feel for their opinion of this specific episode of The Patient and the season in general. With that housekeeping out of the way, let's get into this episode of The Patient, The Cantor's Husband. It's a miracle that everyone who's beaten like that doesn't become a serial killer. Why wouldn't they after suffering like that? It's like an effort to turn them into a serial killer that doesn't always work. That poor kid, with all of it, somehow managed to not kill his father. Maybe his fucking therapy is working after all. We know the story. He needs a replacement father. That's why he wants to keep you here for the next 10 years. He understands maybe intuitively that he needs to do it again to relive his life with a different model. Well, I'm not spending the next 10 years down here. No, you're not. So interesting to start with the title that this is called The Cantor's Husband, and obviously very intentional. We are casting Alan 
not as a therapist at that moment, but in the context of his marriage, in the context of his family. We open in the immediate aftermath of the previous episode, and we get some of what I had predicted there. Alan immediately calls out to Candace and basically warns her he's on his way to go kill his father. She basically tells him, am I supposed to feel bad about that? That guy was terrible to me. She gives him a beer and says, hey, that's how I deal with this when I know he's out there doing his thing. And they sit there and have beers. So <laughs> I did predict that he would engage with Candace, but I absolutely did not think that they would just have a beer and sit in the basement. Kind of shocking turn of events there, to be honest. And then we see Sam meet with his dad. I was kind of thinking they would maybe get some kind of cameo, some stunt casting here. I don't know this actor, and maybe he is recognizable to someone else. And once again, the show, as it has many times throughout its run, is subverting our expectations. The dad basically is surprised to see him, considering that Candace and Sam live in this beautiful house. He's living in pretty less luxurious accommodations. Then again, he's just a single guy living in an apartment. I can understand. Low maintenance. Okay. Maybe it doesn't really say so much about his status in life right now. It does say that he is alone and doesn't have a family. He offers Sam some food. And of course, Sam loves to be offered food. Just makes him a simple sandwich. But Sam seems taken aback by all of this. I guess in his mind, he had this ugly blowout envisioned and he's not getting what he expected. Sam confronts the dad and simply asks him, why? Why did you do this to me? Why did you hit me so many times when I was younger? And his dad basically says, I don't know. You were a weird kid. You were difficult. He asks him, how did you feel afterwards? And he's like, I guess I felt bad about it. And he apologizes. It's not the most full-throated apology imaginable. But once again, I don't think he expected any of this. And Sam leaps on him with murderous intent, starts choking him out, almost chokes him out. But then he relents. So this therapy, this emergency therapy, seems to be having some effect. He's able to control his impulses here. And I think at that point, we immediately jump to his post-visit session with Alan. Alan seems legitimately happy. Of course, he's happy that Sam didn't kill his dad. <laughs> he prevented a murder, I guess. But I think he maybe has a little pride as well in being able to have stopped him or that this therapy is working to some extent. And Alan says, look, this is working. This therapy is working. Time to let me go. <laughs> I'm not sure that pitch is ever going to work. And we get the impression that Sam probably just wants to keep doubling down on what he thinks is actually working. And of course, that is exactly what it turns out to be. Sam's going to make this much cozier for him. I need you to move in here permanently. <laughs> you need to be my permanent live-in therapist. This is his plan. I'm going to bring you some more furniture, refrigerator. You tell me what you want me to buy. I will buy any food you want. While he's chained to the floor for the rest of his life. Fantastic. Quite a plan. Finally, Alan realizes that this is the end game one way or the other and decides to have a conversation, a real conversation with Sam. And he will eventually have a true, finally, this honest conversation with Candace as well. But first, Sam, Alan basically says, look, I've tried to play things a certain way to get out of this situation. But the reality is you're getting better, but you're not going to stop killing people. This is not how this works. The only way to keep yourself from killing other people is to turn yourself in. If you're incarcerated, then you won't kill other people. But that's pretty much the only way. Is this just another escape plan? I do think that A, Alan is telling him you need to remove yourself from your ability to kill these people because that temptation will always be there. So yes, in a way that will stop the killings from happening. I don't know he's telling him that this is what's best for Sam from a client patient perspective. I don't think prison's going to cure him, but who knows? You know, some of these killers have or believe they've been reformed from being in prison. 
for sure, a serial killer behind bars will most likely not murder any, at least no civilians. May kill some people in prison, though. So interestingly here, Sam doesn't get angry, or if he does, he internalizes it, and actually goes and sits outside the police department. I think this is important because it shows that he is taking Alan's words to heart. He's actually contemplating, probably for the first time in his life, that he's actually going to turn himself in. So that is absolutely one step forward, but it is quite a leap for a sociopath to decide that not only are they going to stop, they're going to turn themselves in as well. And of course, he's not. The next day, Candace is bringing Alan breakfast, and Alan has made his final decision as to there needs to be some resolution here, and he's finally going to take action. He has another very honest conversation, this one with Candace, and he says, I need to tell you something. He needs to go to jail. It's the only way for him to get better. She won't do it. He says, you stand by now. You stood by when he was young. You let this happen to him. Not at first. You were blind to the situation you were walking into. But over time, you allowed this to happen continuously. You allow it to happen even now. And you are not protecting him. You weren't protecting him and you're not protecting him now. This obviously is a very tough pill for her to swallow. And like a fisherman with a lure on his hook, <laughs> he has used the tissue box multiple times to lure her a little closer innocently. But this time, he uses the same tissue box move to actually grab her and put that shiv to her neck. He couldn't use it on Sam last week, but now he has it to Candace's throat. And he calls Sam downstairs. And he says, you're going to let me go, or I'm going to kill your mother. And Sam says, I don't think you're capable of doing it. And Alan tells him, this is the only option I have, and I'm going to do it. And he literally starts to cut into Candace's throat, or into Candace's neck, and then we cut to commercial, to Hulu commercial, unless you have the commercial free plan. Then we have a very interesting scene here, which is, I mean, I don't know how to read this, whether I'm positive or negative on this, and maybe I'll save this for my conversation with Sona. We see Alan at a Seder with his entire family. Shoshana is there, Shoshana's family, Ezra and his family as well. I believe they're at Ezra's house, and they're singing some traditional music together. And it's just this moment of pure reconciliation. And from the brief conversation he has with one of his grandsons, it appears that we're supposed to believe that this was sometime in the future. He's asking his grandfather, are you remembering that time when you were gone? And he goes, no, it's something I'll tell you, maybe in 10 years. Oh, importantly, when he comes into this flashback or we come back from this commercial break, we see that he was kind of in a reverie or maybe asleep. And he had this vision of Beth in a gas chamber, once again, this Auschwitz imagery and also the imagery of his cancer-stricken wife before he jumps into this idyllic family dinner tableau. But as we pan around the table, we see Charlie is there, and we know Charlie's dead. And then we cut back to reality, unfortunately. Back to life, back to reality. Sam is choking out Alan. Candace is screaming for him to stop. Of course, just like the hundreds of times she screamed for some man in her life to stop, he does not stop. And Alan is dead. Alan is dead. Even more cruelly ironic, he drags Alan's body into that boiler room where he had dug the hole originally for Ilias, I believe, Ilias, and now ends up being his own grave. Importantly, I forgot to mention this, but earlier on, before he makes his final move for Candace, he had written something down on a piece of paper, and in his own estimation, he said it was too mushugana, a little too sappy, maybe, but it got the point across. And I also forgot to mention that Sam had found that note next to the picture, just as he was about to bury Alan in that grave. And I guess he was moved enough by reading that letter because we spend quite some time, almost the last half of the episode, dealing with the aftermath of Alan's death. 
Shoshana is retrieving mail from the dad's house and finds the letter. And also in the same letter, a typewritten note from Sam himself saying that where the body can be located and retrieved. And she starts to read the letter, which of course makes her very emotional. And he says all the things that he didn't say to her when he had the opportunity to. And maybe that's a lesson for all of us. Eventually she shares this letter with Ezra and we see his emotional reaction to it as well. And this whole part of the episode, despite my qualms with many decisions made in this episode and in the season in general, this is a very emotional moment. And not only does Alan get to have this final moment of reconciliation with his children via this note, we also realize, of course, the fact that this note was delivered at all indicates that Sam has grown in some way. He has overcome some of his own limitations. As a matter of fact, Sam at one point is in that basement now after the cleanup and has a phantom counselor of his own in the same way that Charlie was counseling Alan in his mind. Sam now has a phantom Alan in his mind telling him that you're not going to stop. You're not cured. And Sam decides to chain himself to that same bed, calls down his mother and gives her the key. And there's a little squeeze. There's a little embrace in their hands. Some understanding has passed between the two of them. And in the final moments of the episode, we see that now Ezra is meeting with a counselor or a therapist, I guess you would say. And through this act, maybe he can heal himself and heal the people around him. And the process continues. So it's a never ending process of dealing with these traumas of accepting each other. But before he can get to that point, he has to start his own therapy. And we cut just as he begins to talk about himself. And then we roll the credits and we hear Leonard, Leonard Cohen's You Want It Darker. For anyone who's not aware, Cohen died in, I think, 2016, after a very long career. And this song and this album were released just weeks before his death. And this song and album are about accepting death. So interesting to end on this particular song. I'm not sure how fitting it is, considering that Alan probably would not have chosen this death. All right, so that's the episode. That is the season I have many mixed emotions about this episode, and I have a gut feeling that audiences will reject this, I think. That's my initial impression. But I can't wait to have this conversation with Sona, which will begin right now, and get her feel for the finale as well. Ezra, my dear son, you are a bright light in this world. We both know it hasn't been such smooth sailing between us and your mother. I've spent a lot of time thinking back on everything that happened. And I see things now that I was unable to grasp when they were happening. I want you to know that I understand now everything you said to me. You were right, mostly. I was judgmental. I didn't accept you for who you were. And worst of all, I allowed your mother to take the blame for this when I was as much at fault as anyone. More. I want you to know that I see this, and I'm sorry. Through it all, I always loved you. And I want you to know how very much I respect who you are and the choices you've made. You've built a beautiful family and a beautiful life. You are a special and truly wonderful person. A little Meshuggah, maybe. 
All right, Sona. So I did the recap on my own just for efficiency's sake. Thank you for that. It probably, honestly, I figured that if we started talking, I wouldn't get through the recap. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's part of my, that was part of my strategy. So I have some questions for you and I wanted to kind of touch on some very main points here, I think. And of course, anything else you want to bring up. So before we get into like the meat of this thing, I, I mean, how long do you think Alan was down in that basement? Because I'm thinking Alan's been wearing that same sweater this whole entire time. That's got to be, he's got to uh, be pretty stinky after this. <laughs> it's just at least a week, right? He's been there two weeks, maybe. I feel like everything that's happened minimum two. I feel like it's more like three, but I mean, they never gave us any markers for that. And still we have not even a throwaway line about a police investigation. Yes. Yeah, so, I was going <laughs> yeah. to leave that for the end, kind of like speculation on what's happening outside the realm of this world. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this does not seem like a bustling town where the police could not be bothered <laughs> to look for this missing professional wealthy man. Um, so I, I don't know. But yes, in my head, it's around three weeks. But whether there is actual evidence that that's the case, probably not. I mean, he does mention that he's killed two people in one week. That's a time frame there. True. So that, but that's, you know, he, it, he leads up to that. And then of course yes. the, days have passed since then. So, I mean, it's at least two weeks <laughs> and, uh, and he's been in the same clothes that whole entire time, I would assume. Yeah. Has the beard been growing? Has he been shaving? I haven't been keeping track to that. Of Unless that. he trims the beard. I mean, the beard seems pretty unruly. So I assume it's, and it's pretty long. So I assume it's just been growing in this whole time. In a few weeks, once you have a full beard, it's not that noticeable, I don't think. I mean, I have mm -hmm. a beard, so that's my experience anyway. I'll defer to you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the first, I think, very important moment here is his meeting with his father. So, you know, as we mentioned last week, he was heading out the door. It kind of played out the way we expected or we had. Somewhat. Yes, you had predicted. I'll give you credit for that. I, I didn't, I didn't really know exactly think about as it. I predicted. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> And he does head over to his dad's house. What did you think about this interaction with him and his dad? I don't know. I feel like I just wanted more from this whole storyline. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't know what the thinking was behind keeping it so purposefully vague. I mean, he acknowledged that it really happened. So it's not a thing right. that anybody was making up or exaggerating. But at the same time, I just feel like using this as some sort of triggering event for him that he's trying to symbolically kill his father every time right. he kills somebody. I don't feel like that was backed up in a way that we could understand and relate to that to the extent we can ever relate to a serial killer. Right. You know, it just seemed very shallow to me. Yeah. And it's interesting because I feel the same way. I think that this would be a very important moment, like a in the the show, if it was giving us what I was kind of expecting, and honestly, even here at the end, it makes me want to maybe reevaluate my experience of the show completely, because I feel like over and over again, this is obviously the intention. We are not getting what we expect in each one of these scenes. And I can't just believe that it's just pure trolling. Like there's got to be some reason for it. I just haven't been able to put my finger on it. But exactly to your point, I was expecting this to be some kind of revelatory moment for him, for the dad, for something, something culminating here. And once again, it's just another scene. It's just another step in this process, which I guess is like therapy. But of course, you also have this moment where it's not just this honest interaction with his dad. He's realizing that his dad doesn't even know this is such a big deal in his mind. He does apologize. It's kind of half-hearted, but I think he does mean it. He's like, yeah, you know, it's kind of shitty back then. I like probably like well, a lot but of it. Also, right, because there's been no color as to like, yes. how bad was this? Mm -hmm. Yep. 
right? Because There's no details. I mean, that's Alan specifically yeah, says that. Like right? we are. I know Sam is supposed to be younger than you and I. Right. We have discussed how culturally, yeah. and I don't know if we've ever discussed it on the podcast, but you and I have discussed culturally how there has been a shift towards like a complete um, zero tolerance for hitting your child at any time, which I agree with. But when we grew up, that was not the case. And you were not thought of as a monster if you used physical means to discipline your child, right? I mean, it's a giant gray area and we've been given no details as to like where on the spectrum this falls. Oh yeah, we would get corporal punishment at school (laughs) when I was growing up. (laughs) And I can only imagine like if a parent did that to a child today, you know, uh, people would be, you know, having trying to call the police or something. And I can only imagine, like, you send your kids off to school and find out I was paddled when I was at school today. <laughs> I think that's a failing of the show, honestly, that we should have some more context. If we're not going to have this scene, which lays it all out on the line, it should have been more well-established ahead of time. And then he just, you know, he chokes his father, but doesn't go through with it, which does speak to some level of progress, I would assume. And then he heads back home to tell Alan about it. But interestingly, you know, my speculation last week is, you know, he's going to head out immediately. She's going to, he's going to call Candace. Candace is going to intervene finally. And I have to say that that was a total misread on my part because not only do they just sit down and have a beer, <laughs> she's like, this mm-hmm. is what I normally do when he's out killing yes. people. <laughs> but on top of that is the fact that, of course, I misread this, you know, from a psychological standpoint. Alan even calls her out. She's someone who has looked the other way her whole entire life. She's not going to suddenly become a hero, mm-hmm. obviously. So I do think it's in the reality of the show. It might not be that satisfying, in my opinion, but it is kind of true, you know, probably true to her character. I agree. The next thing I wanted to mention was Alan's interactions here. He has got two, and you've been in therapy, so you can tell me if this this is, uh, you know, my read on it as well. You know, he is finally, you know, as an audience member, finally laying out exactly what he should have been saying to these people along the way. But I guess that's very different when you're a therapist versus being like a friend or something who's trying to give someone advice. And he just calls them out. And and I thought these were two good scenes. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of therapy or at least most schools of therapy, I'm not positive, is a very like leading you to draw the conclusion on your own. But saying it out loud for you would kind of be cheating. So (laughs) I think it's like a, you know, kind of a Hail Mary desperation thing for him (laughs) to be like, all right, let me just put it out there so we can move this along and maybe I can get the heck out of this basement. (laughs) (laughs) He has this very earnest and honest conversation with Candace later in the episode as well. And that, of course, simultaneously is what he's been trying to wanting to tell her this whole entire time. But also it's like a a way to lure her in with the the tissues, right? (laughs) Make her cry, Mm -hmm. (laughs) then lure her in with that with the tissue box and then putting that shiv to her neck. Finally, the tube makes yes. its appearance. <laughs> Chekhov's tube of foot paste. Mm-hmm. And it is sharp enough to cut the skin, I guess. Do you think that he was in his actions when he starts to cut Candace's neck? Do you think he's finally just, I'm at the end of my rope, I'm just going to do this? Or do you think he was just going to you know, cut her a little bit, for example, begin the process of, you know, making the threat real as a way to just have some action, whether it's going to be basically a suicide, right? He leaves that note behind. So is this just a way to force Sam to kill him? Or is this, maybe he leaves the note behind as a contingency because he's hoping maybe, maybe if he pushes it enough, Sam will just, will let him go. What do you think his 
expectation is at that moment? Alan's, Alan's. I think he does have that hope as a last ditch attempt. But I think in reality, as evidenced by the note, he has resigned himself about how this is going to end. And I think, you know, you and I discussed from the first episode on this could only end right. with him dying. I think, you know, we're all fond of Steve Carell and grew fond <laughs> of this character. And so, like, we're all hoping for various reasons, show-based and not, that Steve Carell is going to survive this. But logically speaking, it wouldn't have made sense for him to survive this. And I think I have to conclude that this is what the Auschwitz imagery was. Yeah. The whole time of like being in a situation where you know how it's going to end and there's no way out and hope springs eternal, but like kind of accepting that resignation of, of like, there really is nothing else except this. So it's just him coming to acceptance that whole time. That's what I'm thinking. Having just watched this, you know, two hours ago, what do you think? <laughs> right. I mean, I think I agree with what you're saying. Obviously leaving that note behind was minimally a contingency, if not just a suicide note. But I do think probably you're right that he was hoping for potentially another outcome, but it almost feels like when he has that final conversation with Charlie, that he's basically aware that this is probably going to lead to his death. You know, If he had to put money down, <laughs> I think he's thinking that he's going to die at that moment because he doesn't know if he's going to be able to pull the trigger and actually hurt his mom. And then how would that play out? Right? Is he going to be like, I'm going to release your chain, let my mom go, and then is mm -hmm. he going to release the chain? And then even if right. he holds the mom while the chain's being released, right. immediately jump on him once he releases the right. mom. How would that play out? Right. It really seemed like it was more than anything else is a Hail Mary pass that exactly. there is some empathy there on Sam's part. So maybe he can reach out to that. And Sam would literally be like, you're right. I have to put an end to this. You're going home. You can turn me in. I'm turning myself in. But I think right. he's thinking there's a 10% chance of that. 90% chance he ends up dead. Go down swinging. But, yeah, exactly. but he's going down one way or the other. Yeah, but going down, which is what David Allen Greer has been trying to tell him, I think, in some ways. Yeah. <laughs> I have commercials on my Hulu. <laughs> so he came back from commercial break. And he's basically, first he sees Beth in this concentration camp in a gas chamber. And of course, we know what that means. You know, he's thinking about Beth's death. And of course, he's thinking about his own death, which is occurring at that moment. But as he's dying, he actually has this kind of beautiful vision of his family all reunited. And so what did you think about how that worked? You know, I did think it was really beautiful and really heartwarming. The joy that he was feeling at having his family back together, the religious aspect of it where they're all singing together. I thought it was really um, nicely done and actually quite moving for a show where I have not felt any particular <laughs> association. <laughs> to the characters, I was kind of surprised at how moving it is considering how I felt about the characters thus far. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was a nice grace note considering that, you know, potentially we could have been watching him be choked out thinking he's like dying in terror. And instead he's actually having this kind of beautiful reverie as he's dying, right? It's kind of final moment. So he did in a way die in his own terms. And like you say, there's almost like a religious experience he's having there in his final moments, which makes it all the more tragic. And then Sam does the right thing as far as he can <laughs> at this point. You know, Candace is screaming for him to stop, but it's like, oh, come on, Candace. <laughs> that has, like, that's ever worked before. And uh, he almost buries Alan in the grave he dug, you know, a few episodes back, but mm -hmm. finds that note and decides not to. And this is really, I think, regardless of 
my qualms with many parts of this, even this episode in the season specifically, this whole coda, I thought worked really well. Uh, Sam, obviously we find something out about Sam that he did not dispose of this body. He did make it discoverable by the family. Right. He leaves us. He sends the note back to the kids with that note, with the instructions to where the body could be found. And then we just see the kids dealing with this, you know, reading these note words. And I mean, that's like a lesson to all of us, maybe like, make sure you say these things while you can, everybody. Not that you'll be abducted by a serial killer, but hey, other things can happen in your life as well. I really like this whole end sequence here, bringing the brother and sister back together who've never shared screen time in this whole entire show. So it's kind of unfortunately a way to bring together. Oh, actually take that back. He did share flyers with him. The broken staple gun. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Which in a way, once again, is what drove them back together is, you know, the search for dad. And now, of course, this terrible discovery that worked for me. How about for you? What would you think? I mean, I was crying. So (laughs) So it worked. (laughs) And again, in a show where I did not feel any particular fondness or attachment, um, I was crying. But of course, like we do bring our own personal baggage to this as right, well. Right. The gift that he has given them by writing this note yes. and mm-hmm. saying these things is immense. Um, like, I don't think it could ever be. It's immeasurable to share your parents' final thoughts in that way and to have it be something that is so healing and allow you to have closure where you otherwise might not. I just thought it was like really a beautiful, beautiful sentiment. So I really appreciated that. Yeah. Closure is what I thought of also just being able to, like you said, it's so rare to be able to have that, but maybe something that a lesson for all of us to make sure we take advantage of that. I mean, not necessarily once again, you're going to get abducted by a killer, but if you have something to say to somebody good or bad, right? Don't just, hang on to it. What's that saying that the rappers say that you give people, give them their roses while they're alive. (laughs) So, yeah. Oh, I don't know that one. (laughs) I'm old. (laughs) (laughs) We're both are. are. (laughs) By means of explanation, by way of explanation. (laughs) This whole plan that Sam had originally was kind of interesting that he's, and I have to talk to Sarah about this and maybe you can shed some light on this also, but this interesting idea that Sam has this breakthrough and his reaction is to want Alan to stay there, like basically permanently. So he's in his mind, he's like saying, I have a bad dad. I'm going to replace him with a good dad. <laughs> but uh, you, you really don't do that by imprisoning someone in your basement. So, but by the way, he, and once again, I find it very weird that he has this relatively normal seeming relationship with his wife. It's not like he locked her in the basement when things went bad. He seemed to have worked things out as much as he can, but he has this very twisted dynamic here, thinking that he can repair his psychology and his relationship with his parents by locking people in the basement. <laughs> it's just really not a, a great uh, plan, obviously. Yeah. I mean, do you think he made that other therapy appointment on Tuesday? <laughs> Does he show up? To I that? am wondering. I'm wondering. <laughs> I mean, he's currently chained to the bed. So <laughs> right. I guess not. Maybe a phone session, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you could do it by zoom or something. Yeah, why not? The mom will drop him a uh, leave his, uh, yeah. the iPad downstairs with him. The idea that, like, okay, let me just improve this living space for you. Because... Yeah, exactly. Here's a refrigerator. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't worry. We'll get the Wi-Fi hooked up. <laughs> get you some cable. <laughs> you may not want to allow him to email anybody, though. <laughs> no, that's true. I think just that. Just cable television. Just television. Exactly. One, <laughs> yeah. one, one direction. Yeah, exactly. Maybe he would just go with, like, streaming services. I don't know. But... <laughs> <laughs> right. right piggybacking directly on that. What do you think happens after this show? We have that moment at the end where he has chained himself to the basement. Should have put on more comfortable clothes, by the way, if he was going to do that. 
mm. his PJs on or something, or just at least some loungewear. And he gives the key to his mother. They give that little hand squeeze. What do you think that means? Do you think he's going to lock himself down there and she's going to keep him the way he kept Alan? What's he going to do for work? Like, does he need to keep working? I uh, hadn't considered the work aspect <laughs> of this because, yes, I thought like, OK, this is what he's doing. He's signing up to live this life so that he cannot hurt anybody else. Or do you think um, it's metaphorical? Do you think that he's like saying, like, I'm chaining myself now and like basically telling his mom, like, it's time, like, you know, basically symbolically he needs to be locked up? I thought it was literal. <laughs> I, I don't. I think so, too. Everything on the show seems to be um, literal, by the way. <laughs> but practically speaking, yes, there are questions about the income stream for the house and mm-hmm. <laughs> um, how they pay their bills and whether this was a job he was doing just because he likes it or whether they actually need his money. Or if the dad comes by to confront him being, I can't believe you almost choked me to death the other day. And he's just like, why are you chained in the basement? <laughs> uh, questions for sure. Yeah. But I, I mean, I did take it as literal. I don't know. I guess they're going to work out the practicalities of that. They got nothing but time. Yeah. Although, you know, eventually, I mean, the mom is older. Something could happen. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if she has some kind of health issue, yeah, uh, exactly. maybe it's, symbolic in that like for practical purposes he will allow himself to be unchained to take a shower to go to the bathroom to change his clothes maybe he will only chain himself when he starts feeling that urge like a werewolf (laughs) maybe there's they can put together a a guidebook of some sort maybe (laughs) and the last thing i had is you know speaking of maybe transitioning into general opinions of everything i also am surprised that even when we see i assume we're doing some slight step forward in time where we see Ezra in therapy now. And I guess we should talk about that briefly. I, I guess that kind of means that therapy is always this process. He's trying to not put this trauma onto his children, right? And he's going to therapy mm-hmm. to to prevent that. So, I mean, that's all nice. Uh, the exact <laughs> reason I went to therapy, not because something like this happened to my father, but yeah. <laughs> right. You just wanted to make sure you don't pass yeah. that on. Mm-hmm. Sorry, not to make this about me. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> but it is. Everything's about all of us. That's why we're watching these things. Oh, and then, of course, uh, but I do. Maybe this kind of puts my thumb on the scale for my general opinion of the show. But I just think about, once again, <laughs> not to knit too, pick too many nits, but like, where are the police in all of this? I can't help but think, you know, the da- <laughs> maybe I'm overthinking this, but like outside the scope of this world, the dad, right? for example, who just got choked out by his son, who's watching the news. And apparently this is in the news that they've even labeled this serial killer. I forget what they call him, but, you know, it basically takes everybody's wallets. And at first he was trying to make it look like a mugging, but now they know it's a serial killer and they've given him some name, which I can't remember now off the top of my head. They only brought it up like once or twice in the whole entire show. There's quite a few wallets in there now. So he's killed a whole bunch of people. The dad is watching TV and going like, who was the most recent guy who died? Oh, that guy who works in the office with my son. These people are being choked out. My son tried to choke me. Who are these other people? Oh, also other people in the restaurant industry. I wonder, I should call the cops and see if maybe some of those people had been uh, in- investigated or, or uh, by, my, by my son. I'm sorry. I'm so excited about this thought. Yeah, yeah. Um, Go ahead. <laughs> now that you're bringing this up, I'm realizing, well, the Steve Carell thing was not premeditated. It was like spur of the moment. Like, did he really not leave any DNA behind right. or was he able to clean up all the DNA? Although I doubt he's in a database, but still, you know, there could be some way to at least test the DNA and like maybe a familial thing. You know, we've talked about that before in other contexts. I think an interesting point that that I'm making 
if I do say so myself, <laughs> um, that there could be some evidence as to who killed Alan. I do agree. I was thinking about it again today that he would have left something behind for the reason you said. I don't think this was spur of the moment. He captured Steve Carell's character, Alan, outside of his house. So in that regard, it seemed smart, right? He's like, you know, grabbing him by the garbage cans and, you know, luring him outside by making some noise. And now he's outside of the house. But as we've seen, he has his medication. He has his foot cream. He has some of his clothing that he brought with him. So he went into the house and got these things, which, of course, inevitably would have left something, a hair, something, you mm -hmm. know? Mm -hmm. And of course, if they match that hair or whatever else to evidence at these serial killer locations, they would start connecting the dots. And then they're saying, okay, we have this um, therapist. We have these different people. We have now this person who works in this office, all potentially killed by the same person. It's got to be someone who knew all these people. Who could that possibly be? There's only like five people on earth that would match that description. And he's one of them. <laughs> they should come knocking on the door in the middle of the show, basically. At least ask some questions. At least ask some questions. something. I mean, it does seem like there's just a complete absence of police presence here that is just really strange. Like, I mean, yeah. again, I understand that that's not what the show's about, right. but a throwaway right. line here right. or there, right. just acknowledging that this is a thing that is happening just for realism. But yeah, I think over and over again, I feel like I don't think I understood this show, basically, because like you said, I'm absolutely correct that all those kind of thriller elements are out the window because that's not the priority for this show. But I still don't know. I understand what I was supposed to be paying attention to because the premise is so outlandish. If this is just supposed to be about someone kind of coming to terms with all the missed opportunities they had with their uh, children. I mean, you could have had Steve Carell like get caught in a cave in or something and have the same kind of emotional journey. But to introduce a serial killer and to have, you know, like it's, and then to have him not only the threat of a serial killer, like imagine this was like in treatment where a serial killer is coming to question him and he just feels like his life is in, in danger. Or he goes, You have to keep seeing me because I know everything about you. I've stalked you. I know where your kids live. I know your grandkids live. So you have to keep doing this. So more of like a psychological imprisonment rather than a physical one. I mean, that would be a, a route to go. But to make this such a specific story about a serial killer abducting this person and putting him in the basement and then having no plot around that core scenario seems very strange. And the mom just conveniently popping in or out, depending on how they want to use her, also seems very badly plotted, in my opinion. I mean, I definitely also felt at the end, I'm not sure I understood this show or what it was trying to do. Yes, exactly. Um, and I assume that is not the goal when you make a show. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> um, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it right. was like, let's leave them asking questions. <laughs> right. right. Um, there were a lot of really interesting things about family dynamics here. Yes. But again, to choose this context. Right. Or that is a strange choice. Um, I think there's a giant leap between mom not protecting the son from physical abuse and mom protecting the son when she knows he's a serial killer. Like I don't, I don't see that as a natural sequence of events necessarily. Right. <laughs> um, I just don't think that's human. I don't know. Um, maybe I don't know enough about serial killers and their families, but <laughs> like, if anything, if you wanted to implicitly not be culpable or whatever, I, I don't, I'm not looking, I'm not finding the right words, but 
the answer I feel would be to put as much distance between you and your kid as possible so yeah. that you had plausible deniability that you knew right. any of this was happening, right. not to live together and know literally when these things are happening and just tacitly approve in a way. I, I don't know. The strangest thing about it is it seems like he's moved back in with her relatively recently because yes, of the divorce. Because he's divorced. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the fact that he's killing these people or within her purview, aware of this now and for her to be accepting of it. It's all very strange. <laughs> and also why introduce it? Because the strongest parts of these uh, this season, I agree, was all of that interpersonal dynamics and Alan thinking about these parallels with his relationship with his son versus the relationship Sam is outlining with his dad as well. Even though we have to really connect those dots, the show's not doing a lot of that work for us. But I, I can agree. It was a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, I agree. Imagine the same basic story with all the strong scenes that we saw. But in this version of the story, we meet the Sam character. He has an alias. He goes to get therapy from Alan. And then that we see them in parallel lives. We see that Alan has his life and Sam has his life. And that Sam has said to his mom, let's say, for example, that I like this one and I think I'm going to like abduct him. So now we know as audience members that Alan has this threat. So we don't know when it's going to happen, but it can potentially happen. Meanwhile, they have these therapy sessions. They can still be going, Alan can still be going on this emotional journey. He doesn't know if Sam is threatening this or if it's really re real. Is he just making these stories up? And he's like thinking, should I tell somebody? Should I not? Is my life at risk? Is it not? And then this could be like a threat to that eventually, you know, he could eventually abduct him or maybe everything kind of plays out similar to how it did now without some of this craziness at the end. You know, some of the same threat and some of the same journey without all this really weird, weird plot holes that we're, we're outlining purely because they wanted to set up this situation where he's in the basement. And once again, I think about all those sequences where Alan's kind of ruminating on his history with his son, et cetera, and just sitting in that basement. I'm like, what does that add to the show? I, I don't understand. I don't understand what that added to the show at all. I could be interested in both a show about family dynamics right. <laughs> yeah. and a show about a serial killer kidnapping his therapist. <laughs> right. But the hybrid of it <laughs> right. was very strange. Like, I think this is a situation where they needed to choose a lane. Right. And they did it maybe because it's just so like scintillating the idea of a serial killer kidnapping yes. his patient. But like, then you have to see it through, right? Right, like, right. <laughs> um, I mean, because again, like I do enjoy this stuff with the family dynamics. And, right. you know, I, right. I could watch people in therapy sessions all day long. Like that's when I watch couples therapy. I, I will binge watch that. And I just watch hours of people talking to a therapist and I love it. So it's not like I can't be the audience for either of these shows. Right. I just don't think I'm the audience for the hybrid of those two shows. And who is, by the way, <laughs> honestly, I mean, the, the ratings on the show have dipped a lot since the, it started. And I really do feel like they're losing their way in this show for a lot of the reasons you're saying, I think a lot of people feel the same frustrations. I will say like, as far as like, I do think I needed my hand held more Yes, because I think there is stuff happening here that I am missing yeah. again, because like, I'm assuming the goal of the show is to not leave people confused, but they had this built-in device of yeah. Alan's therapist, mm -hmm. yep. right? Like they could have used that to hold my hand a little bit and spell out some stuff for me because like you and I are talking about this show. It's not like we're not putting in the work of thinking about it, right. but we're missing something that makes these decisions make sense. 
think about how great a performance David Allen Greer gives as Charlie and how much better our appreciation of the show began as soon as he showed up as the therapist. Mm -hmm. He should have been there literally from episode one. Like, why did we wait till like episode four or whatever for Charlie to show up? Should have been there the whole time. Give us a little handholding because those scenes, yes, it was some handholding. Fine. Thank you. But at the same time, those scenes are great. They're some of the best scenes in every episode is their interactions, right? Yeah, I agree. Um, so I wish they had be made better use of that. I mean, I can only assume they they felt they didn't need to. Right. Speaking as someone who has like avidly watched this for the most part, and I don't think I'm an unintelligent person, I needed something more. Yeah. And like I see fundamentally feel like there's two scenarios here. One is that I fundamentally am misreading this show, which is possible. Like I've missed something fundamental. Agree. And based on I mean, my that expectations. That was honestly my conclusion at <laughs> yeah. the end of like something here did not Doesn't add for up. me. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> so I must have missed something. And by the way, anybody out there who has a more positive read on this, please let us know. Maybe we're just missing something completely. You can email yes, us. Yes, please at... <laughs> hold our hands and spell it out <laughs> for us and yes. tell us you guys are idiots. Can't you see? <laughs> you totally this missed. This is what you're supposed to take from it. Exactly. I would love to hear that, by the way, because there are parts of this show that I really, really loved and I wanted to like this a lot more than I did. Um, so yeah, re email us at needs some introduction at gmail.com. But I do want to throw in there just for a minute before we wrap up is we still didn't get an answer. Why did this have to be a Jewish therapist? We still not get that answer. And I do not understand why. What a good point. Um, Sam specifically tells him I went to four or five yes. different Jewish therapists before I picked you. Why did he have to be a Jewish therapist? I, we still do not know that answer. So a little frustration for me yet again. Maybe he thought the he could find the solution to his problems through God, but that also needed to be yeah. better spelled out through him asking some questions or something about faith. Or like at least like when you know we see him in his room, the only time we see him in any kind of private moment, he's like watching pornography and trying to participate in some fan group for uh, Kenny Chesney. Maybe we could have seen him reading religious texts or something, because I don't know how that ties in anywhere to the rest of this uh, story <laughs> at all. That's a really good point. As like they planted that seed from the start yeah. and then like it didn't really lead anywhere. Although this show was about religion in a lot of ways, right. not right. in that way. Right. Right. All right. So given all of that, before we transition to our next conversation point, what would you recommend this show? What, what you know, just to general audiences, what, what would you think? <laughs> I would not. <Yeah. laughs> I think there are shows that do the serial killer thing better, and there are shows that do the family dynamic thing better. So, um, although there was some really good family dynamic stuff in here, yeah. One thing that I was thinking about, and this is not, um, this isn't what the premise of this show was, so I can't fault it for that. But I have enjoyed shows involving serial killers or just people, not necessarily killers, sometimes <laughs> just regular murderers, not serial murderers, right. um, or just whatever. Shows about, dramas about people seeing therapists that are hiding the truth about who they are. I feel like those can often be very interesting. Like I've talked to you about the, in treatment, one mm -hmm. with Irfan Khan. Yes. Mm -hmm. Right. Which is amazing. I mean, yep. partly because he's just, he was just such an amazing actor that like I could watch him read the phone book. I, I think there's a, a bunch of movies like that about people telling their therapist one thing, but really something else is going on. And like, I think I find that kind of device much more interesting than 
this or even I don't know I just and then now I'm thinking about like Hannibal the TV show mm-hmm. yeah. and Hannibal as a therapist which is a whole other spin on it I think there are a <laughs> yeah. lot of spins on therapy relationships that are done in a more interesting way than this one is what I'm trying to say here I just made a rev- revelation right now. I kind of couldn't get a bead on why you like that show so much because I was like, oh, you know, some of the gross horror and stuff. I know it's not really it your- very grim at times. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not really your cup of tea. But then I'm like, oh, but there's the therapy aspect to it. Too, think- <laughs> <laughs> she can't stop herself from watching therapists. <laughs> Except for this show, apparently. <laughs> Given what you just said, as far as like not recommending this, and I'm on the same page with you, by the way, would there be something you'd recommend? You mentioned Hannibal, of course, couples therapy. And you said there are things that do the serial killer thing better. You mentioned, by the way, that sub series, you know, and for anybody who's never watched in therapy, in treatment, uh, treatment, I'm sorry, in Mm -hmm. treatment uh, episodes. And I'm sure there are websites you can go to where they kind of compile, watch these three episodes, watch these five episodes. But yeah, the Irfan uh, Khan subplot of those you can really just watch them as their own kind of mini series and it's mm-hmm. incredible it's just incredible yeah i only watched the Irfan khan episodes actually <laughs> That's it. because That's the um, i had heard about that you know yeah. so like i wasn't a watcher of the show really but i had heard about that and of course i'm interested in indian actors and so well i guess not and he course, passed away right just passed away. I am. yeah from like a really rare disease of some yeah. sort um yeah. Yeah, that is what piqued my interest, but it was just so compelling to me um, that I actually want to go back and watch the regular series, which I think followed a format, if I'm correct, of like, Monday is this patient, Tuesday is that patient, right? Like client or whatever, Mm -hmm. which I think is a really interesting device. So, but again, it's one of those things that like, who has the time to do this? Like this it's very grand, I think, what the show aspired to do. And I think from what I heard, did it well, but who has the time to catch up on something like that? <laughs> I know? would recommend it though to the general public out there. Once again, once first of all, I should say, because there are definitely websites where they'll say, watch these five episodes and they mm-hmm. kind of rate the, because there's kind of like an arc to each one of these different characters. Yeah. So you can kind of see the ones you're more vested in or not. I really think that particular arc is maybe the best of that entire season. I mean, it's definitely the best of that season, maybe some of the best of the entire show. That's the first part of it. The second reason I would recommend it is because it's really such a short, speaking of uh, this show um, that we just watched, I mean, the episodes are like 20 minutes long. I think yes. some of them are shorter. So it's yes. like, you can really kind of burn through it pretty quickly, even though there's That's a lot true. of episodes, but they're very short. So they kind of, true. you know, start watching that in order. And you're like, and this is my experience of that show, by the way, when it was on before you could stream things, you just have to tune in and watch it. It would be like, you'd watch this particular teenager who's, you know, being bullied in school or something, not that interested in that storyline, really interested in the third storyline. It's like, you just watch the third storyline. Hey, it's right. now. you can literally just pick those specific episodes and watch them. That's true. I think the whole thing is you know, very well done. Even the weaker episodes for me pay off at the end. So mm-hmm, I could see that. So yeah, that's one recommendation. And as far as you said, someone who does like the serial killer thing better, I, once again, I'm just throwing this at you. So if you don't have an answer, you don't have to answer. But did you have something in mind that you were thinking specifically about that you wanted to recommend? Well, as far as dramas, you know, we always talk about, you know, the first couple of seasons of Dexter being mm-hmm, yeah. amazing as far as like understanding the mind of a serial killer. Um, and like uh, this particular serial killer <laughs> right. and what is driving him. I don't think they're all like Dexter, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> Definitely not. you know, I mean, those first couple of seasons were really fantastic. So yeah. that's the first serial killer thing that comes to mind for me. How about you? 
Oh, wait, I'm just going to say it again. Mindhunter, you know, a show that got canceled right, I think, I prematurely. Yeah. So good. And I think that's really worth it. And it really is very different than this patient show, but so excellent in the fact that you have this, you know, loosely based on fact, this guy who formed this uh, forensic pathology section mm -hmm. of the FBI, like kind of like Quantico and that whole Science of the Lambs framework with this kind of onset in the late 60s, early 70s and later of sudden, maybe just realization for the first time, but that these serial killers existed and it became kind of a fixation among the police and of course, among the public as well. And you see them like the internal struggles of them trying to found this new way of policing, but you also see them interviewing actual historic serial killers. So if you are interested in these serial killers' lives, you find out a little bit about and their backstories. Of course, yeah. I mean, people who are watching this show, I would assume there'd be some, <laughs> or people who watch Dahmer, which was like a phenomenon <laughs> recently, right? So you find out about some of these serial killers. But more importantly, you get to see how that the psychological aspects of the work starts to really make these people question their own sanity in, you know, in this work, right? Some of the same things that are being introduced in like the Hannibal show in a more heightened way. But I really think it's very good and pretty naturalistic and, you know, really well directed across the board. David Fincher. It's so funny. David Fincher directed only the first two episodes of that show and produced it. And I think that Fincher's episodes are the most boring, believe it or not, even though I think his movies in general are excellent. Mm. And uh, the rest of the show, once he like leaves as director, the show really like by episode three, four, five gets really, really excellent. Interesting. Yeah. And the second uh, season of the show deals with the Atlanta child murders almost exclusively. And it's really fascinating that some of the you know social topics it deals with there as well. So it's really a Really good stuff. Unfortunately, canceled after just two seasons, which is surprising. Netflix has a big deal with um, Fincher, but regardless, they've canceled that show, but still the first two seasons available now and uh, very good. Hmm. So that's one recommendation. On a completely different note, we are going to start covering The White Lotus season two. And Sona, the early reviews are in and they are off the charts. <laughs> Enthusiastic. I do have uh, pretty high hopes for White Lotus, and especially when these really, really strong reviews have come in. I especially like that the reviews aren't like the people who love the first season. They're like saying like all those Great. significant problems with season one <laughs> have been fixed. And uh, this is just like a pleasure to watch from beginning to end. So I'm just like, oh, okay. Wow. There Fantastic. We go. I need a little, uh, a little island vacation now that the weather's getting cold. I'm uh, good with that. <laughs> I mean, that's the biggest takeaway is that I'm going to want to go to Maui. <laughs> right. They're in Italy this time. Oh, it's not the same hotel? No, I thought it would be it, the same hotel. No, it's like a different White Lotus every season. Yeah. I did not realize that. Oh, very exciting. Yeah, there you go. That'll be beautiful. Yeah. And uh, what's the name? Michael Imperioli is there. Aubrey Plaza is there. So a lot, a lot of actors that I, I appreciate are in this show. So, And of course, Jennifer Coolidge is there. I think she's the only carryover from the first mm -hmm. show. Her and the guy, by the way, they're still dating. I saw him in the, mm -hmm. in the, in the trailer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The guy who has some kind of, is he lung cancer or something? He's dying of cancer. Right, yeah. But he's still alive now. He's still traveling the world. Right. <laughs> there you go. All right, let's hope for better things with that show. <laughs> but I'm sure it'll be a good conversation either way. So. <laughs> I agree, although some people don't appreciate when we don't like something. And we don't like something. To I guess. It, but yes, let's hope. <laughs> All right, I'll talk to you soon. Talk to you later.